Benny Johnson is the CEO of the American Marketing Association, the largest community-based marketing association in the world. Most recently, he served as the executive director of AIGA, the largest professional association for design. He serves on the board of overseers for Columbia University's School of Professional Studies as a trustee of the Smithsonian Archives of American Art, and he's a former board chair of the Smithsonian's Anacostia Community Museum. Benny thrives on the connections between marketing, technology, education, and innovation. Here's my conversation with Benny Johnson. No matter the institution, company, or organization, everyone wants to find the best talent, and everyone wants to keep their best talent. Higher education is no different. I'm Eddie Francis. I've worked in both talent acquisition and higher ed marketing. On this podcast, we're going to explore the ways to create a great experience for faculty and staff on your campus. Because in education, a great employee experience equals a great student experience. And who doesn't want that? We'll have some honest conversation, get insights from experts, and hear success stories from campuses. It's all about developing an attractive employer brand, something that'll make the people say, I want to work there. Joining me on I Want to Work There is Benny Johnson. He is the CEO of the American Marketing Association. Benny, good sir. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you for having me. This is a great honor to to sit here and spend some time with you. Tell me about the road to becoming a CEO of the AMA. What, What about your background and what led you into that seat? You know, I'd be remiss if I'd say that this was the master plan and the game plan all along, but... When we talk about it and think about it, you, you get a chance to look back over your life and real like it, realize that it plays out exactly how it should. So I'm the kid who grew up mm. loving marketing. Mm. So marketing and entrepreneurship was the way I kind of navigated the world. I started my first business when I was a little kid. These are things that I just kind of gravitated to. Before I even knew what the terms were, what the strategies were about marketing, this was just a natural fit. And so I started my career classically as a marketer, doing startups, technology, consumer, brand, strategy, B2B, global work, you name it. I was really kind of honing my craft as a marketing leader and uh, accelerated to become the, the opportunity to become a chief global marketing officer. And in the midst of this, I was offered the opportunity to build a strategic marketing and global development team for an association. And that was the first time I had actually experienced the notion of professional associations. I lived in DC and worked where many of them are based my entire career, but it never really had a lot of interaction other than a membership here or there or resources, but not in terms of running it. And I was offered the opportunity by a mentor to come in and really create a nimble, strategically focused global marketing team. And so I did that. And that kind of put me about 12, 13 years ago in the association space and served in various capacities of executive leadership. And then about a year ago, a year and some change, I received a call that really kind of set the mark for my career, which was the marketing guy getting the call to be the CEO of the marketing association. You know, and these are things that don't come up often to kind of grow up in the space and then be a leader of the space. So it allowed me to take both my marketing and strategy experience combined with the notion of community, professional development and building a, you know, a contemporary association to bring those together. So it was such a natural fit. 
I had a good friend of mine when she saw the job announcement, she didn't ask me what I was applying or what I had to go through. Her only question to me was, when do I start? And I think that kind of sums up how th this journey has been for me. But that's what brings me here humbly to be the new CEO of the AMA. Okay, so you can't leave us hanging. You said that this has been in your blood since you were a kid. What were the kid hustles? What did you do? Oh, my goodness. So the very first thing that I ever did was, you know how you have, at least for us in the Mid-Atlantic, we would have school trips every year to like amusement parks. I took my fourth grade understanding of math and commerce and was able to go with my mom to one of the wholesale stores and buy candy. And I talked to my <laughs> teacher and said, can I sell candy on the bus? And she looked at me and said, okay, so selling candy. But I knew at the time as a fourth grader that, yes, I had a cost that I could charge for the candy. But if you're on the bus, you can't go anyplace. And I'm the only candy vendor. So I could charge a premium for it. I also, at the 11th hour, learned that there was going to be not one bus this year, but two buses. So I found two other kids to be a franchise and sell for me on the other bus. So, you know, it's funny. We can call it the kid hustle. But in reality, you know, that was my first foray into entrepreneurship. I love the creativity opportunity. I love the resilience. Nobody told me how to do this. I was problem solving. I was coming up with innovation. I was working within the frame that I had. You know, you're in the, you're in the fourth grade. You can't drive. Right. You can't. Right. You have to you have to use the funds you had. So I had saved up birthday money and allowance money to invest in my business. So all of these things are concepts that serve us all well as we go throughout our, our lives. But these are things I was learning firsthand as the kid. Later on, by the time I get to high school, I was actually doing the bus trips myself. So I had a business partner. We were doing bus trips. We were charging. I was doing all this stuff. I, I laugh now and look back over it year, many years ago. I don't think I was ever old enough to sign the contracts I was signing, but nobody ever questioned. I, I came in at a suit and a briefcase and a check from the banking account I had at the credit union that I had taken all the money that I made and other things and put in there. And I was, you know, reserving buses, luxury buses, understanding that, you know, my audience needed luxury accommodations, right? And we would come in and we would pitch and have the cool mom and dads. We'd give them the opportunity. We knew we needed chaperones. So if you were a cool mom or dad, we'd give you a chaperone seat in exchange for coming along with us. So we counted that. So we, we built this, one of my best friends and I, we did this before we went to college. And I remember applying for a business competition, one of those high school business competitions with the university. And I remember being told that, well, this is nice. I think I got honorable mention or something, you know, something vaguely being awarded, right? And the commentary from what I assume in my imagination was a 40 or 50 year old MBA was, well, this is nice, but this business will never work. What was incredible is we had been running it for three years. Because when you're an MBA, you have access to car and resource and friends. When you're a 14 or 15-year-old, this is the only way you can do these things. And so once again, it reinforced those lessons of how do you make you know, opportunity where, where other people don't see any? How do you create disruption? How do you find a way to bend the universe to the things that you're interested in? So that, that was the kid hustle. That's what I, came natural to me. Before I knew about brand strategy and market strategy and delivering those promises, these were things that taught me this in the world around me. That is, but you know what's so interesting about that is, is you figured out that you had a market for a business. You figured out that there was a need. You figured out all these basic 
marketing 101 things. And it and it's so interesting that someone with an MBA missed that part of it, that you were actually you were actually filling a need for the marketplace that you had access to. Yeah, exactly. That is that is absolute. That's that's hilarious to me, actually. It's one of those things I, I come back as, as I get older, I think about the story and the concept and it, and like, it makes me laugh every time. Cause, cause it's like, it, it, it makes perfect sense right? when, you, when you put yourself in that, that, that mindset or that situation and context, right? And often we take ourselves out and it's a great space for us as strategists and business leaders to make sure we challenge ourselves to get outside of our comfort zone and space. I've always told my teams that you are not your target audience. Even if the target audiences are named Eddie and Benny and live in our homes, we are not the target audience, right? And you have to think about that to challenge yourself to get beyond those kind of comfort zones, right? How many great opportunities have been missed because we can't see what's right in front of us? And look at you now. Who's laughing now? So you stepped into your role at AMA right before the 2022 Symposium for the Marketing of Higher Education. I'm really curious that is, is there anything in particular that you've observed and or learned about higher ed marketing since then, or anything that's made you more curious about it? You know, one of the things that really blew me away, and so I started, but I wasn't official yet for the higher ed marketing symposium, right? We hadn't done. Oh, that's right. I remember you kind of just snuck into the scene. Yeah. (laughs) The event took place in my backyard. I I live here in D.C. and grew up in D.C. and we're right here at National Harbor. So it was the first time I got a chance to experience the contemporary AMA community writ large. And what was powerful for me was the way in which this community welcomed me in. You know, I just literally walked out the parking lot. Hey, I'm the new guy. Welcomed me in. But what I saw was the power within the higher air marketing community of this true community in practice, right? So not, and that's a play on words for me of not just a community of practice, but this was community as an active place in practice. I've met generations of folks who t- introduced me to their mentors and their mentor's mentor who were involved in higher ed marketing and they were at other universities. It reminded me to kind of keep in the higher ed space, it reminded me of coaching trees and teaching trees, right? Where, oh yeah, this is the coach I work for and this is the other space in there. You know, talking to people who worked on campaigns for X university, and now they were each running other university programs, but having this opportunity at AMA to come back together, right? So both sharpening their skills, renewing the bonds and relationships, and getting the idea of what's next and what's happening. You know, that, that was really powerful for me to see. That goes beyond the brochures. That goes beyond why I'm coming to the event but being really in that space, man. It's one of the only events like that for this dedicated community, right? Specialized needs, specialized space and challenges and opportunities to grow. So that's something that AMA provides, you know, in mass, but in really special ways for this community. And that was one of the things that blew me away um, just in spending the week there with the higher ed marketing leadership and community. You know, that that's actually something that blew me away as well. I mean, here I was at the time I was at this small HBCU in New Orleans and, you know, we're trying to figure out the whole marketing thing and I'm trying to figure out the marketing thing and I'm trying to, I, I had been, you know, I'd been doing everything on the communication side of the house. I've been doing the PR thing. But I had to figure out the marketing thing. And so I did this self-imposed professional development 
And when I jumped in, basically the response when I reached out to even one person was, come on in, the water is fine. We're going to we're gonna help you through this. We, we're going to shoot you some information. What do you need? How, how can I help you do your job better? And this is coming from people at institutions that were nothing like the one I was at, but we were all swimming in the same direction, dealing with the same things. And so it's really cool that you picked that up as well, especially from your vantage point, that you picked that up about the community of marketers who were in higher ed. And I've, I have uh, not a commercial here, but I have enjoyed my AMA membership quite a bit because of that attitude that the higher ed marketers in particular have had. So, yeah, you've adopted something pretty cool. Yeah, it, it was, you know, and it's part of the reasons that drew me in. When I think about like what a contemporary professional community does, right? It's not about the products and services or even the early bird special. Now you can come for all of those things in there. It's that beyond space that goes in there. I always, I often talk to my team about thinking about our solar system and yes, they're large planets and they're small and medium planets, and, but there's a lot of other stuff in between and the other stuff in between doesn't really get all the attention, but it's essential to the space in there. And I felt a lot of that in our higher ed community and even our other communities, whether it's collegiate or academic, you see that in the AMA. We, we focus on creating this essential community. And, you know, it's the adjective means a lot. The modifier of community means a lot. Community is rich in and of itself. When we talk about a central community, it's all of those things, that stickiness that brings us together. Sometimes we don't have the words for, but you know it when you're there. When you find the group of people who you know, have similar goals, similar challenges, you know, they're your friends, they're also your competition, you know, everybody's trying to bring students in the best of their resources. Um, but what better place to, to come together on that? So I, I said, I love it. I'm looking forward to this year back in, we're going to be in Chicago again. So I, I pick up a little bit, as I mentioned, I am a native Washingtonian. So this is my home base, but I spend a lot of my time this year between DC and Chicago. So Chicago is kind of like a second home now. <laughs> Well, it happened again. Prospect Paul is excited about attending your institution, but is getting consistently confused by all of the information and tasks he needs to complete to enroll, creating friction, and even worse, melt. You knew this would happen again, didn't you? Which is why you've been flagging the need for a Come to Jesus meeting with leadership from marketing, admissions, and IT to audit the digital experience for prospective students. Here's the problem. You're not going to convince Mark from Marketing to let go of this precious marketing automation software. Adriana from Admissions just got set up with her new CRM. And Isabel from IT is still working through ticket requests from last Christmas. But what if you could come to the table with a solution that didn't require anyone to let go of their software, while at the same time ensuring a frictionless experience for prospects and current students alike? Guess what, my friend? Today's your lucky day. Meet Pathify, an innovative higher ed engagement hub that puts students at the center of their college journey. Pathify sits at the center of your school's digital ecosystem, becoming the single user experience interface tying all systems, content, and communications together. Their engagement hub elevates the information that matters most and pushes systems like the SIS behind the scenes where they belong making it simpler for students to discover and engage with the opportunities your institution provides at every step of their higher ed journey from prospect to alumni. 
What's even better, Pathify has a mobile experience that provides 100% parity with a responsive web app so your campus app is always in sync. Pathify is a platform that every stakeholder on campus, from marketing to admissions to student affairs to IT, etc., can equally get excited about. So learn more about Pathify and how it's uniting strategic units across campus and bettering the entire student experience by visiting pathify.com. And be sure to tell them that Eddie from I Want to Work There sent you their way. <laughs> You're listening to I Want to Work There. I'm Eddie Francis, and we're talking to Benny Johnson. He's the CEO of the American Marketing Association. And Benny, I noticed that part of your background includes work that you did for the HR Certification Institute. Um, so just having worked there, what's one of the most interesting things that you learned about human resources in your capacity with that organization? I'm curious. I will tell you something that always makes me laugh, and I'm always humbled when I hear it. I had a colleague once tell me later on down the line, and by no means have I ever fancied myself an HR person, right? I was a part of the, the enterprise. I was a part of helping to grow the profession. He would always tell me, he would say, you're the best HR person I know. And it was like this high, high set of praise that would make me nervous in the moment when he would say it. But, you know, we spent so much time really in a respect for trying to grow the profession, you couldn't help but learn the best emerging and better practices of HR, right? You couldn't help but see when things were going wrong in HR and where HR could be a solution, right? And so HR Certification Institute at the time was working closely with SHRM, Society of Human Resource Management. So we had the benefit of being the certification arm and body of SHRM. So we were interconnected in terms of what we were learning and who we were engaging with. What really blew me away there is our goal was to build a global credential for a global profession. And I was there right at the nexus where the HR was really coming into its own as a profession. The challenge had been, how do we move from being the benefits providers, the party planners, the go to actually having a strategic role at the table to think about talent, innovation, and the role that culture plays. So I got a chance to be a, lot, a part of a lot of those conversations but also exploration. So when we were looking to how do we build a credential globally, I had the benefit of spending about four years traveling the globe, literally meeting with HR and business leaders from every size company and organization you can imagine. For-profit, non-profit, B Corp, governmental organizations, organizations that are multifaceted global, where I'm meeting with their US headquarters, their headquarters in, in Belgium and their headquarters in Asia Pacific, and talking about the nuances, opportunities, and differences in HR. It was an incredible learning experience. And when you walk away from it and you go to other organizations or you're involved in other conversations, that's when you realize how much you picked up, right? It's one of those, I knew with marketing training or strategy training, I was conscious that this is what I was learning. It was amazing how much I learned from that time period, which was like a master boot camp in thinking about HR and human capital strategy, operational culture, things that touch my world when you think about strategy or my favorite category of that employer branding, right? It's kind of the nexus of HR and marketing, thinking about this employer brand. It's the nexus of what I think of as customer engagement, right? Because the reality is this, your employees are your first best customer. If you can't sell your employees on who you are as a brand and a culture and a space, 
how are you going to sell the rest of the world? And I kind of, with my group, I always live by that maxim on the things we're doing. Your employees, your team members, they're your first best customers. The research data has shown that over the years, you know, organizations that score high in these types of engagement metrics tend to have a corresponding increase in productivity, in impact measures, in profitability, in growth, in all of the areas that you want to lead in. If you're doing well and engaging with your employees, chances are you're doing well in those categories. Hmm. What exactly, so there, there's a lot there about what you found fascinating. What drew you in initially, though, when you learned of employer branding? What was something that you heard or that you saw that you read that drew you into it? Thinking about how we built culture has always been a part of kind of my DNA, right? So for me, it was much like starting off as an entrepreneur. Building culture and engagement is something that we do. And especially when you think about building it along community, whether it's a client community, a business community, a space in there, there are some similarities. When you start thinking about how do I galvanize, excite, and lead a complex group of people, which most organizations, whether you're three people or 3,000, use complex human interactions, right? So that engagement piece becomes, how do I get people to see that, that the way we work and how we work and what we work on is important? Right, all of those who, what, when, where, how conversations that shape our cultural experience. That made sense to me and resonated, especially as a marketing person, right? That's how we get people into the brand. The employee space is just the pivot to say, I need to be consistent, even more intentional with what I do inside the transaction as I do outside of the transaction, right? I need to make sure that the people that are excited about my brand behind the cash register are just as excited as the people on the other side of the cash register. Right, that that kind of space in there. There are different levers and different engagement you may have, but the intention is still we want to create rabbit fans, people that are embraced, that are contributing to the culture, and people that get a true sense of what our authentic brand is. Right. It's really hard to say your brand is one thing externally and not live it internally. Companies have tried it over the years, but those are the ones where you see those epic fails and disconnects, right? We all, we all know, and, and it's not a surprise, like I said, when you see good brands doing good work, it comes through. And in today's world, it's really hard to not be authentic and hide that, right? You can see through. You know when you see that ad or the, the campaign or you get the customer service response, you're like, this doesn't connect together. You know, there's something off in there. They seem nice enough, but there's something that's not quite right. But when the brand is firing on all cylinders, you have this moment where you're like, yes. That's what I value. That's what the brand values. As we look into our next generations of employees, these are the things that employees are saying are more important for them. You know, and it's also how customers are looking at it. I know during my time period on the career, I had the real great fortune of being head of strategy, of being chief strategy officer and head of marketing for the Council of Better Business Bureaus. And we had a great kind of measure what what it took to be a trusted business. And I remember we did some work to kind of look at our assumptions. We had seven or so principles that had been the heart of what a better business was, but this hadn't been updated in 30, 40 years. And so we decided to, to ask consumers and businesses today, what does this look like? Now, this was a few years ago, but still relatively recent. When you look at the span of 50, 60 years, we're talking about the last five, six years, reaching out and saying, what 
is important. And what we were able to do was validate those areas that we had before, being honest and forthrighting your promises and trust. Those things all scored well, right? They were important in 1972. They're important in 85. They're important in 99. They're important today. What didn't show up on the record before, but was showing up really strong now was consumers wanted to believe that a strong business had a commitment to their customers, excuse me, a commitment to their employees and a commitment to the environment. Those items, which may not seem as a surprise, but they elevated in such a way that they weren't in the language for what a good business was in the late 70s and 80s, you know, even showing up in the 90s. But doing that today, it was just as important as truth in advertising, as the way in which you've got, you're part of that trust space in there. So that means your external customers are looking, how do I treat my internal customers? Do people want to work there? Do you treat them? I don't want to vote with my dollar at a place that doesn't treat its employees well, right? And that's the other side of that employee engagement space in there. You know, likewise, you want to have somebody whose commitment to the environment and the world around them is in keeping, right? It doesn't have to be perfect, but it needs to be a commitment. You know, I actually brought this up on episode two, that one of the stories that made me realize, particularly in higher education, you have this very important customer base in students. And one of the stories that made me realize a point that really backs up a point that you just made that customers want to see a commitment to employees. One thing students will tag you on every single time, they're going to get you on this every single time, is they'll say, you know, that brochure was so beautiful. Your website is so beautiful. I get here and you people are a nightmare <laughs> and, and you are not being consistent with what you're showing me. And this is really upsetting to me. In the meantime, the administration might be sitting in the ivory tower going, yeah, they'll get through, they'll get over it. They just got to get the degree and get out of here. And, and you're sitting here going, no, it's not that simple. And one, there was a, a situation at one university where the students were really upset about some things happening with the university. One of the things they outlined as a demand was that they wanted the university to commit to higher pay for the facilities people because as customers, they were sick and tired of the facilities people being late on repairs, not doing maintenance, and they were sick of the facilities people having bad attitudes. And so the students started asking the facilities people what's wrong, and they got to the bottom of it. Yeah. And so and so what you just said, I think is so key for for colleges and universities to understand that even from a customer standpoint, customers want to see some sort of commitment to employees. And I think that's a missing piece that we just we haven't put our fingers on it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And we have a generation when you think about our contemporary college students, we have a generation that has access to more information, more resource and more transparency, if you will, than any generation before, right? They've been well, well healed and skip, scripted in what to look for, what questions to ask, how to engage. They're also really good at spotting those inconsistencies, right? As you know, as you put up, we expect the website to be stellar. We expect the brochure to be stellar. We expect for you only to highlight the alum who do things that are, that reinforce the space in here. We expect for the tour to only show me the new buildings and not the old, right? And you see how we start to then kind of make those selective spaces in there. 
And then you ask yourself the question of, what is this experience that we're having in there? Where is my investment of time, money, and my personal engagement going? Is it consistent with my beliefs, values, or contribution? And those are questions that weren't necessarily asked in the forefront a generation to two ago, but are very much the questions being asked today and tomorrow. So one of the things I was wondering, let's say that you are advising a marketing team at a college or a university, and this marketing team has bought into they are going to lead the conversation internally about developing a competitive employer brand or an effective employer brand. But I, I certainly believe competitive is a word that we want to focus on with over 4,000 colleges and universities in the country. In higher ed, departments and teams notoriously are known for working in silos. We say this all the time. So if you were coaching that marketing team or advising that marketing team, and they said, okay, we're going to go and we're going to approach HR about doing this. How would you advise them, knowing that there's this silo effect so many times in so many places, how would you advise them on a good way or to, to approach an HR team to start working together on building this employer brand? You know, it, it, it's interesting because we know this isn't an easy task. And that's why it's the question, right? It, it's not an easy task. And it's going to vary from location to location. But the things that we know that are true, if your silos are in parts and pieces, right, then you have to treat them like you're putting together that puzzle. Where do you start from the spaces that you can recognize? You know, you get a corner, you get a section, you get an image that you understand, and then you build from there, right? You can't do it as a coalition of one. It has to be an active engagement and understanding where we are as an organization. You know, sometimes it's hard to start off talking employer brand directly with the HR department without understanding what they're under. So in some organizations, not all organizations, but in some organizations, I'm going to go out on a limb and say the HR department is under-resourced and not focused on the space in there. So if you're under-resourced and it is benefit season <laughs> or it's functional transition season, with all of the best of our marketing glory, and strategy, we're not going to get the ears and the win of that coalition. I think what where the opportunity is, is to look at this as, as a short, mid, and long game, right? In which, what does a larger goal of having an engaged employer brand mean? I'm a big believer that marketing is everything and everything is marketing. It means that you've got to lead through influence outside of your core budgetary space, outside of your core strategic space in there, right? We know that part of the employer brands includes facility. Facility is not talking to you about your ad campaign or your direct mail and your social outreach engagement, but facilities is every bit a part of your social media play because the facilities are bad. Guess where it's showing up? You know, it's showing up right in your feed, right? It's showing up on X. It's showing up on your Instagram story. You know, you don't want the, you don't want the higher ed equivalent of the fire uh, festival grilled cheese sandwich showing up right? That completely diminishes this. This is where investing, right? And institutions of higher ed get it naturally have always had a tension between those who are building the knowledge, those who are pursuing the knowledge, and those who are working in support. And so our world requires us, an employer brand, to bring the best of that together. That any one of the silos, they may be treated differently, but they're not treated in a downward way. They're not treated in a way that's disengaging, right? That they're retreated in a way that is respectful 
and dynamic, right? Where, you, where you're having that, where everybody's a part of doing this. Everybody's a part of, of getting this rocket ship to the moon. Everyone in NASA has, has a job or responsibility. You know, whether you are working in the cafeteria or you're working on the calculus, you're a part of bringing that in. And I think universities have a space to do that. If I'm a marketing leadership in that space in there, we're going to identify what parts of the organization have the most skin, the most touching points of the employer brand experience, both internally and externally. And you start to build your coalition from there. You know, it may be as simple as a conversation. We think that there's an opportunity, HR. What are the things that we have that we can help you out with that we can work on this together? You know, I can tell you that if you're swamped with doing the menial task of any function, when somebody comes to you to talk about something different and you can get a space to breathe, you want to be a part of that. Now, if you're stuck under deadline, you don't, right? But if you have that space, you want to be a part of it. And I think that marketing can learn a lot. I know in my career, I've always been able to learn a lot from the other disciplines that are working beside me. How does engineering think about it? How does fulfillment think about it? How, why do we do X, right? And you'll learn some things that from a marketing perspective may not mean anything to you. But once you understand why legal does something, all of a sudden your world changes, right? How do we think about promoting our program? I remember working with a group and I brought them in to help us rethink our language on our website. I had great marketing writers and I had great space in there. And they, they had done work for a major institution, one of the oldest ones, and I won't name the guilty, right? And we did this analysis and they went to show us because our group at the time, and this, I'll tell you this before my space of BBB, we were just as guilty. They went into the page and we did an analysis. And this university had talked about themselves 75 times on the page. They didn't even realize it because content was coming in from multiple silos and being put in together. And they realized that everything was about them. They had mentioned the student, their experience like twice. You know, we did that as a pivot to start talking not just about us as the Better Business Bureau, but to talk about the business and the consumers first. And that had to be a conscious turn on in that space in there. I wonder, you know, there's opportunities to kind of think about that if you're running marketing for an organization. How do I engage so the conversation is inclusive and is a conversation and isn't a unidirectional conversation, space you should go into it. And like I said, that's different. That's not your core marketing work of acquiring students on the front end. But I'll tell you, if you get that employer brand correct in there and every part of that institution is firing on, this is, is a great place to be. You know, when you got that energy that you get on the playing on Friday night or Saturday night in the sports teams, other space in there, when that comes through on your Tuesday afternoon in the science building, that's when you know you're doing something. When people are like, this is a place that, that you can be that I see as a part of it. And what I love is universities, most universities have that energy. It's just about honing and identifying. You'll find generations of folks who've been there, who've been a part of the community, who they've grown up. Their grandfather had a job, then their parents went to school there, and they're there. You find those stories at any university, large, small, whatever. It's what makes it a wonderful learning community. I think the opportunity is to pull those things out, uh, to make that a part of the employer brand, but then to understand the pressures that each of your departments are under, right? You're going to outlay, if you're marketing, you're going to take the lead, but it is a coalition space that, yes, I need HR to be along with me on this. I need, you know, I need the faculty senate to be along with me on this. I want the students involved in that to be involved in that. How many times do universities discount the inputs of the students? You know, we want them involved. In, but, but I think that that's, it becomes a complicated play, but then you start to say, where are my resources in there? And I said, some universities, their HR department may be ready to go. Others, 
you, you know, you're offering an assist to get them in that space. Yeah. It sounds like it takes uh, it takes some patience, too. I mean, a lot of colleges, and universities, I worked at three HBCUs and the theme at every single one was we need it now. And you're sitting there going, if you work so hard for now, it's going to be really hard to put something sustainable in place. And so it, it sounds like you really have to understand how to play the long game and how to bring people along while you're playing that long yeah, game. It, well, it, it thinks about it. if we use, you know, more colorful analogy and space in there it's kind of like being a recording artist and having one really good show that does not make a career right does not make an experience does not make a tour and when you kind of do it in that moment yes you've got one moment in there it gives you some shine and excitement around that but here's the thing your employees your students your customers can all see through that like eddie just got dressed up for saturday that's not how Eddie performs on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, right? And so we talk about this always, and as an adage of saying, your brand and your true brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room, right? It's what they say about you when you're not overtly trying. I expect my Super Bowl ad to be the poshest, the most elaborate expression of my brand. It's got to be beautiful, on point. It's going to be exciting and dynamic. How does my brand show up in retail on that Wednesday after? How does my brand show up when there's a problem with the product? How does the brand show up when I have a problem and I'm using their product, right? How, do, how does the brand show up when times are hard and challenged? Those are the things that, that help you with an employer brand. And universities you know, are uniquely positioned to have to deal with that, those questions of the brand all the way through. So it is it's less trivial than candy confection purchase as a gut, you know, impulse person while you're checking out. Very different than that, right? It's very different than an add-on in your cart and Amazon as you're checking out. You know, when people are engaging and investing in a university, they're investing in themselves and they're investing in a long-term relationship. So that's why I'm not opposed to the fact that it's going to take time to build these things. You're building this over time, right? How do most major gifts start? right? They start with really small $200 gifts, right? And it's a commitment on how are you going to treat me and react in that kind of engagement? You know, how are you treating me when you reach out to recruit me? How are you treating me if I'm a student of promise, which all students are, right? No matter where you're going and where you are of promise, if I've got more than one offer, you've got competition. You know, it's, it's just not, I, 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 I'm sorry that my definitions aren't so complex, but they're, they're very real. And, and I'm a pragmatic CMO, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and the same goes if you're battling your peer institution for that magical English professor who, you know, is going, who, who has already written five books and you're trying, you're trying to, you're trying to get this English professor to come to your side, but the other institution is actually making it a great experience to be, it's not about the money. They're making it a great experience to teach and to research there. And you're sitting there going, come over here because we need you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. one of the things that you take away from spending all the time in the HR space was the concept of total compensation. And what's wonderful about that are the things that are non-monetary compensation, but play into that conversation, right? The things that we take for granted, but are more positive now, quality of life, you know, the balance that you have in the space in there, an investment in there, the esteem that comes in, the opportunity to lead in there. You know, it's not just 
I remember watching in a strategy class once, watching recruitment videos for, once again, I'll keep the brands, the guilty brands nameless, for two technology-driven companies. And they were trying to have our engineers. And one did an entire campaign that were all the things that you and I may want to have at the organization, right? It's fancy days off, all these other things in there. The other company did a campaign that was hyper-focused on the work that the engineer would do. Guess which one scored better? Not all the frivolous stuff that was going in there, but what really mattered where they knew the psychology of the person they were going into. So what matters to that professor in space center? Isn't it an opportunity for them to work with other students who are going to then grow in there? And if that's the case, your commitment or your lack thereof doesn't only interfact one generation of staff engagement and work, it interacts multiple generations. Because as we mentioned at the beginning, that professor is going to work with another student who's going to work with another student who's going to work with another student. You know, and that's the long tail of, of what employee engagement looks like in the sense of higher ed, right? It's the knowledge staff, it's the support staff, you know, it's the executive staff are all a part of what makes a university's employee base. Benny Johnson is the CEO of the American Marketing Association. Benny, thank you so much for joining me on I Want to Work There. I look forward to seeing you in November in Chicago for the uh, symposium. Man. Yes, yes. You know, I, I just want to thank you again. You were one of the first welcoming faces to meet me at that reception Ed, when I started last year. I'm sorry to hear that, Benny. <laughs> and appreciate us having this conversation. Please, anytime. I, I love to be a part of it. I encourage our listeners to spend some time and check us out at our higher ed symposium this fall, this November in Chicago, and check out any of the resources of AMA for everything marketing, strategy, and beyond. I Want to Work There is part of the Enrollify Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, check out other Enrollify shows. The Enrollify Podcast Network is growing by the month with all kinds of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows. And they're jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks, all designed to empower you to be a better higher ed professional. There are some great industry voices that you can check out, like Terry Flannery, my good friend Jamie Hunt, Allison Tercio, Corinne Myers, Dustin Ramsdale, Jamie Gleason, and many more. Learn more about the Enrollify Podcast Network at podcasts.enrollify.org. Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea. So uh, come and find yours. <laughs>